Kia ora everyone, I'm Andrew Whiteside and today I'm talking with Richard Clues, a gay man who's built a travel business taking groups of gay men, solo women and other groups of queer friends to beautiful and fascinating places around the world. You could say Richard is addicted to travel and has worked hard to share his passion for that with others. Richard Clues, really nice to talk to you. We're going to be talking about your business, your travel business, but first of all, I have known you for so many years but I have hardly ever seen you because you seem to be out of the country constantly. So you've been traveling for years. What, what and why? It feels like that. <laughs> so I was back here in the 80s and then um, I joined Flight Center. I always wanted to get into the travel industry and moved to Sydney with them uh, for a few years and then uh, went over to South Africa with them to set up some of the South African operations. So yeah, I was with them for quite a long time. It's, travel has always been my passion and it's I've been waiting for the day that it stops. It just hasn't. Outside the Square is your travel company that, yes. uh, that you launched some time back. Yeah. You obviously saw a gap in the market for gay travel. So tell me, why, why did you want to set this up? So very much so. You know, I've, I've traveled a lot of my own throughout the years. And um, I think, you know, I found sort of when I sort of hit sort of 45, 50, that uh, it just wasn't quite the same, you know, that when you're traveling on your own, you don't meet as many people, you're, you know, you've moved beyond hostels. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I love dinners out. And, you know, I find when I'm traveling on my own, I just sort of snack or I have a little takeaway and I miss some of the great experiences. And uh, so I was looking around for, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, some, oh, I love traveling with the camaraderie of gay men in particular. So I was really looking around for, for something that would, would meet that and uh, I just couldn't find anything that was really geared to the kind of tra travel that I like. Uh, obviously there's, there are uh, gay travel companies um, but they generally uh, speaking they specialize in uh, cruises or city-centric tours um, and the, the, the couple of companies that really do what I would call intrepid type trips um, are extremely expensive out of the States. Uh, and I also became really, really frustrated that um, a lot of companies, you know, their, their single supplements are so high that you almost feel like you're paying double. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wasn't prepared to do that. <laughs> so I thought there was potentially a gap. Um, my friends said I was totally mad. They said, yeah, you know, gay men want to go on cruises. <laughs> I said, well, I only need to find a hundred people around the world that wants, want to do something different and then I'll be fine. And you started doing this with friends, didn't you? That was yeah, your, very were much. you testing it? Absolutely, yeah. It, it started off with uh, friends who, when I left Flight Centre, when I left the, the travel industry, um, you know, people were always asking me questions. Uh, you know, where should we go? What should we do? Where do you recommend staying? Um, and it sort of morphed out of that. I, I organized a few friends doing a few trips and and someone, uh, um, Dr. Mike Pulse, did the idea into my mind and said, well, you know, you do this really well. I feel safe traveling you with you. Why don't you uh, look at uh, putting it out there, putting a website out there? And that's really what I've done. I've never advertised, um, just really Facebook, and uh, word of mouth, web, I guess. Word of mouth and my website. And so, the kind of guys that you would get going along. I think yep. we were talking before this interview. You were yes. saying that you, you've even had a, a lesbian has been on the tour. So it's yes. it's not exclusively gay men, but but generally, what what kind of people would turn up for these? 
So uh, if I go back to the, my, the name of the business, I call it Outside the Square for the Almost Independent Gay Traveller. And uh, you know, the, the title really, I'm trying to sort of set the stage for the kind of people that might be attracted to the business. And um, uh, I generally I run two types of uh, trips, uh, one that I call mixed, and mixed means uh, really primarily gay men, gay friends of gay men, which are usually often straight women, uh, and uh, lesbians. And we get a, a lovely mix. And the, the types of trips that I do for those mixed trips might be to say somewhere like Burma or Myanmar, as it's called now, um, where homosexuality is illegal. And we're really, we're given an extra layer of protection by being a mixed trip. We don't attract so much attention. And yet the people are incredibly friendly and we feel very safe there. But, you know, we're not quite as obvious. And then um, I do my boys Bali and uh, boys only trips to Cambodia. And uh, we're doing a luxury South African tour as well. And when I do a boys only tour, then it's, uh, it's, it's usually because there's some kind of um, uh, gay infrastructure in the country that we can clock into, like a, a little gay bar, or you know, there might be places that we can go to see a show that might not be of interest to um, mixed or uh, mixed mixed company. And the, you know, the the demographic uh, has emerged. I, w I wouldn't have said that this was my sort of um, what I was expecting at the um, when I set it up. I was probably expecting people to be my age, which is in, the, in their 50s, who liked sort of um, uh, different experiences, uh, quirky uh, hotels and unusual type of travel. But I think uh, as, uh, as the business is now in its sixth year, the, uh, the, you know, the demographic falls sort of really into four um, main areas. There's obviously single gay men in their 50s, 60s, sometimes early retired, sometimes uh, uh, older. I've, the, the oldest person I've ever had on one of my tours was 81 and uh, you know he, he had the uh, energy and libido of a, <laughs> of a 27 year old. Fantastic. Stories to match. Um, the other demographic is uh, the half of a gay couple who likes to travel and that was once something I wasn't expecting so I get quite a lot of people who come along where their partners are sort of staying at home looking after the cat and all going fishing and one person has got to that stage in life where they think if I don't travel now I'm never going to travel I've been we've been together for 25 years so I'll just go and do it on my own so I get quite a few people like that um, and the other demographic which again you know I hadn't expected is that there's an there's a really a large number of uh, gay men out there in their in their late 50s and 60s who've lost a partner um, right. you know we're, we're just at that age where you know people go with strokes they go with cancer um, and you know they've been in relationships for 20 or 30 years and they're they're just reaching out again you know they're starting to f find their way of doing things on their own and um, I've had a lot more than I would have ever expected in, in falling into that demographic it's an so interesting it's nice. dynamic, isn't it? Because yeah. it's something that we don't... I wasn't expecting. ...and yeah. don't often think about. And we don't often talk about it as well. You know, how do you... When you lose a partner of 20 years and you've, been very, you've always travelled together, uh, you love mm -hmm. travelling, how do you keep on going and doing that? Um, and then the final demographic is, uh, you know, gay couples who really enjoy company. Uh, and, I, you know, so they, they get a lot more out of going 
to places where they can have dinner with a group of friends as opposed to just themselves. So th those are the four demographics. So that sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, and I'm assuming, uh, obviously, the, the route is planned, but how rigid is it that, you know, we're going to be in this place this day and then tomorrow we're doing this? How Each day, how planned out is that? Well, it's, considering, you know, I'm called the almost independent traveller as, as part of the title, it's probably a little bit more structured than people uh, might realise at the beginning because, you know, generally we are trying to see a lot. But where, where I try and differentiate myself from the other products out there like Intrepid or Adventure World um, is that, uh, you know, the... The, um, the age group um, that tend to come on my, my trips are sort of 50 plus and they don't like to travel so fast so normally we stay in a place for two to three nights. Um, it's quite rare that we're only staying somewhere one night so people aren't packing and unpacking all the time. Um, and on every sort of two week tour I would uh, give people at least a day when I call it their follow their passions day. <laughs> yeah. And I'll give them a list of things to do. And if they're interested in art, they can go off and here's a list of great art galleries or here's a list of uh, um, museums that you might like. Or here's the sauna. If you need to work something out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this place, is a, yeah. it, it, you can do it here. So, so I, get, I let people know and they, that's their follow their passions day. And then when they come back and we usually have dinner together that night and everyone talks about the stories they've had. Um, and I build a little bit, you know, time... Uh, now, people these days, they like a little bit of time in the evenings to catch up on Facebook or to post something on Instagram. So I sort of try and build in a, you know, an hour or two. A social media hour. Yeah, <laughs> so, so people can sort of get their addiction out of the way, you know, because in a lot of the countries we travel in, you know, the internet is pretty patchy. Um, and you only really get it sporadically in some of the hotels. Now, I'm assuming that you have been to most of the places if not all of the places that you're taking the tours on. Yeah, very much so. But, you know, my um, uh, um, somewhere like um, Bali and, uh, and um, Myanmar, I've been to, been running trips for six or seven years. But uh, the, my, my, the, the way I usually start off is uh, I'll um, research for one or two months to put together a product of two weeks. And in my researching, what I'm trying to do is to find quirky hotels that are in the centre of town. I, I love the, I love for people, especially you know, gay men who are used to being independent. You know, we want to be in the centre of town, so in their time off, they can walk out and be yeah. right where they are. I don't want to, to have a hotel that where you have to bus or taxi into the place. So I'm trying to find something that's really good value, really a little bit quirky, is a bit gay friendly, uh, in the places we want to be. And uh, I think the other thing that's really uh, uh, that I really work hard on is to try and find unique places to eat. Food is a big, big part. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a gourmet tour at all, but you know, good food makes people happy on holiday. Uh, and so finding those delightful little restaurants, which most people, when they're travelling on their own, they might find one or two in a holiday. Yeah. But they, you know, we go to a different one every night, so they're really being exposed to the very best um, of. In a, you know, in a, in a, in within the budget of the tour. I'm not talking five star. I'm talking, you know, but quirky and nice. So uh, I, I do the the research and then put together a new tour. Uh, and in some cases, uh, Peru is an example. I will work in conjunction with a local um, operator. I don't speak Spanish, and I run two tours in South America. 
And so what I do is uh, uh, I work with very closely with a, another New Zealand company who is a specialist in Peru. Uh, I run the tour, but it's in conjunction with an excellent Spanish-speaking guide. Um, and the other place that I also do that is in Nepal, because uh, two years ago we did the Annapurna trek, and we got down to the bottom of the mountain and everyone said over a, our first beer, okay, this is addictive. We need to do every space camp before we get too old. So this year we're doing, <laughs> going to every space camp and it'll probably be the last one I do as well, you know, at 58. <laughs> That's probably wow. going to be the last time. Um, but in a conjunction with it, for, for a trip like that, obviously we need a guide, a Sherpa, porters, there's a whole infrastructure. Oxygen. That goes with it. Um, well, we hope the atmosphere will provide some of it. <laughs> the base camp is quite high up. It is, it mm. is, and certainly in the, on those kind of trips, you know, altitude acclimatization is um, is really vital because it can be dangerous. Absolutely. Where would you keep going back forever because it is just so magical for you? Oh, I think there's there's South Africa. I would have to say would be on that list. Argentina, Peru. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, Burma or Myanmar is a, is a real, real favourite of mine because there's nothing like it on the planet. It, uh, it is so amazingly different. It was cut off from the West and world for so long. Um, and it's so delightful. And I know they have tremendous problems there. Um, uh, but I um, believe that it is it is vital for um, people from the West to keep engaged uh, as they take their very tentative first steps towards democracy. Because if we close them off, then they will fill those hotels that they've built for the tourist industry um, from countries that don't uh, have the same degree of human rights expectations as we do. And so it'll go backwards. So I, I do believe in continuing to support some of those countries that might look on paper like we should be not supporting. Um, I guess possibly my final question is, and you can answer this from your own personal experience or from the experience perhaps of the people that you've taken on these tours, does travel change p people and or you and how? I think travel absolutely changes people. Um, I think we live in uh, we live in a wonderful country uh, where we're blessed with a standard of living that is incredibly high from a, a world perspective and um, you know travel sort of opens people up to different cultures to different ways of looking at the world to different uh, expectations of how you can be happy um, it opens people up to the the, the incredible generosity uh, of people. But I think it's really that, you, you know, that looking at things from a slightly different angle. Uh, and I notice it mostly when I come back uh, and I, I, I clock back into my social circle here in New Zealand and uh, I find people talking about house prices and I find <laughs> people talking about the, you know, the cost of, a, you know, the countdown supermarket and um, that their neighbours pissing them off a little bit. and. No. There's nothing wrong with these things. These are the anxieties of our life. Um, but when you've just been and spent a couple of weeks in Cambodia um, and you come back, you th those things seem tiny. Um, 
And I think what it does, it helps people reset. We all have our anxieties in life, but it, it resets them and it gives us the equipment to, um, to look at things in a little different, different way because we've been exposed to something that, uh, outside and different. That was Richard Clues talking about his guided travel business outside the square. And if you'd like to know more, you can visit his website. There's a link to that in the text below this interview. Don't forget to visit my website for more stories about entertainment and, of course, the queer side of life at andrewwhiteside.com. You can also support my journalism at patreon.com forward slash andrewwhiteside. Thanks for listening. See you soon.